0: Section 4 of Famous Adventures and Prison Escapes of the Civil War by Various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 4 War Diary of a Union Woman in the South. Part 4. May 9. This morning the doorbell rang a startling peal. Martha being busy, I answered it. An orderly in gray stood with an official envelope in his hand. Who lives here? Mr. L very imperiously which mr l mr h l is he here no where can he be found at the office of deputy blank i'm not going there this is an order from general pemberton for you to move out of this house in two hours he has selected it for headquarters he will furnish you with wagons will he furnish another house also of course not has the owner been consulted he has not that is of no consequence, it has been taken, take this order. I shall not take it, and I shall not move, as there is no place to move to but the street. Then I'll take it to Mr. L. Very well, do so. As soon as Mr. Impertine walked off, I locked, bolted, and barred every door and window. In ten minutes H. came home. Hold the fort till I've seen the owner and the general, he said, as I locked him out. Then Dr. B.'s remark in New Orleans about the effect of Dr. C.'s fine presence on the Confederate officials there came to mind. They are just the people to be influenced in that way, I thought. I look rather shabby now. I will dress. I made an elaborate toilette, put on the best and most becoming dress I had, the richest lace, the handsomest ornaments, taking care that all should be appropriate to a morning visit dressed my hair in the stateliest braids, and took a seat in the parlor ready for the fray. H. came to the window and said, Landlord says keep them out. Wouldn't let them have his house at any price. He is just writing to the country and can't help us now. Now I'm to see Major C., who sent the order. Next came an officer, banged at the door till tired, and walked away. Then the orderly came again and beat the door. Same result next four officers with bundles and lunch baskets followed by a wagon-load of furniture they went round the house tried every door peeped in the windows pounded and rapped while i watched them through the blind slats presently the fattest one a real falstaffian man came back to the front door and rang a thundering peal i saw the chance for fun and for putting on their own grandiloquent style Stealing on tiptoe to the door, I turned the key and bolt noiselessly and suddenly threw wide back the door and appeared behind it. He had been leaning on it and nearly pitched forward with an, Oh, what's this? Then seeing me as he straightened up, Ah, madam, almost stuttering from surprise and anger, are you aware I had the right to break down this door if you hadn't opened it? that would have made no difference to me i'm not the owner you or the landlord would pay the bill for the repairs why didn't you open the door have i not done so as soon as you rung a lady does not open the door to men who beat on it gentlemen usually ring i thought it might be stragglers pounding well growing much blander we are going to send you some wagons to move you must get ready "'With pleasure. If you have selected a house for me, this is too large. It does not suit me.' "'No, I didn't find a house for you. You surely don't expect me to run about in the dust and shelling to look for it, and Mr. L. is too busy.' "'Well, madam, then we must share the house. We will take the lower floor.' "'I prefer to keep the lower floor myself. You surely don't expect me to go up and down stairs when you are so light and more able to do it.' He walked through the hall, trying the doors. What room is that? The parlor. And this? My bedroom. And this? The dining room. Well, madam, we'll find you a house, and then come and take this. Thank you, Colonel. I shall be ready when you find the house. Good morning, sir. I heard him say, as he ran down the steps, We must go back, Captain. You see, I didn't know they were this kind of people." of course the orderly had lied in the beginning to scare me for general p is too far away from vicksburg to send an order he is looking about for general grant we are told he has gone out to meet johnston and together they expect to annihilate grant's army and free vicksburg forever there is now a general hospital opposite this house and a smallpox hospital next door war famine pestilence and fire surround us every day the band plays in front of the smallpox hospital i wonder if it is to keep up their spirits one would suppose quiet would be more cheering may seventeen hardly was our scanty breakfast over this morning when a hurried ring drew us both to the door mr j one of h s assistants stood there in high excitement well mr l they are upon us the yankees will be here by this evening what do you mean that Pemberton has been whipped at Baker's Creek and Big Black, and his army are running back here as fast as they can come, and the Yanks after them, in such numbers nothing can stop them. Hasn't Pemberton acted like a fool?' "'He may not be the only one to blame,' replied H. "'They're coming along the big B Road, and my folks went down there to be safe, you know. Now they're right in it. I hear you can't see the armies for the dust.' never was anything else known like it but i must go and try to bring my folks back here what struck us both was the absence of that concern to be expected and a sort of relief or suppressed pleasure after twelve some worn-out looking men sat down under the window what is the news i required retreat retreat they said in broken english they were louisiana acadians about three o'clock the rush began i shall never forget that woeful sight of a beaten demoralized army that came rushing back humanity in the last throes of endurance wan hollow-eyed ragged footsore bloody the men limped along unarmed but followed by siege guns ambulances gun-carriages and wagons in aimless confusion At twilight, two or three bands on the courthouse hill and other points began playing Dixie, "Bonnie Blue Flag, and so on, and drums began to beat all about. I suppose they were rallying the scattered army. May 28. Since that day, the regular siege has continued. We are utterly cut off from the world, surrounded by a circle of fire. Would it be wise, like the scorpion, to sting ourselves to death? the fiery shower of shells goes on day and night. H's occupation, of course, is gone. His office closed. Every man has to carry a pass in his pocket. People do nothing but eat what they can get, sleep when they can, and dodge the shells. There are three intervals when the shelling stops, either for the guns to cool or for the gunner's meals, I suppose, about eight in the morning and the same in the evening and at noon and that time we have both to prepare and eat ours clothing cannot be washed or anything else done on the nineteenth and twenty-second when the assaults were made on the lines i watched the soldiers cooking on the green opposite the half-spent balls coming all the way from those lines were flying so thick that they were obliged to dodge at every turn at all the caves i could see from my high perch people were sitting eating their poor suppers at the cave doors ready to plunge in again as the first shell again flew they dived and not a human being was visible the sharp crackle of the musketry firing was a strong contrast to the screams of the bombs i think all the dogs and cats must be killed or starved we don't see any more pitiful animals prowling around the cellar is so damp and musty the bedding has to be carried out and laid in the sun every day with the forecast that it may be demolished at any moment the confinement is dreadful to sit and listen as if waiting for death in a horrible manner would drive me insane i don't know what others do but we read when i am not scribbling in this h borrowed somewhere a lot of dickens novels and we re-read them by the dim light in the cellar when the shelling abates h goes to walk about a little or get the daily citizen which is still issuing a tiny sheet at twenty five and fifty cents a copy it is of course but a rehash of speculations which amuses a half hour Today he heard while out that expert swimmers are crossing the mississippi on logs at night to bring and carry news to johnston i am so tired of corn bread which i never liked that i eat it with tears in my eyes we are lucky to get a quart of milk daily from a family near who have a cow they hourly expect to be killed i send five dollars to market each morning and it buys a small piece of mule meat rice and milk is my main food i can't eat the mule meat we boil the rice and eat it cold with milk for supper Martha runs the gauntlet to buy the meat and milk once a day in a perfect terror. The shells seem to have many different names. I hear the soldiers say, oh, That's a mortar shell. There goes a parrot. That's a rifle shell. They are all equally terrible. A pair of chimney swallows have built in the parlor chimney. The concussion of the house often sends down parts of their nest, which they patiently pick up and re with friday june five in the cellar wednesday evening h said he must take a little walk and went while the shelling had stopped he never leaves me alone for long and when an hour had passed without his return i grew anxious and when two hours and the shelling had grown terrific i momentarily expected to see his mangled body all sorts of horrors fill the mind now and i am so desolate here not a friend When he came, he said that passing a cave where there were no others near, he heard groans and found a shell had struck above and caused the cave to fall in on the man within. He could not extricate him alone and had to get help and dig him out. He was badly hurt, but not mortally, and I felt fairly sick from the suspense." yesterday morning a note was brought h from a bachelor uncle out in the trenches saying he had been taken ill with fever and could we receive him if he came h sent to tell him to come and i arranged one of the parlors as a dressing-room for him and laid a pallet that he could move back and forth to the cellar he did not arrive however it is our custom in the evening to sit in the front room a little while in the dark with matches and candle held ready in hand and watch the shells whose course at night is shown by the fuse h was at the window and suddenly sprang up crying run where back i started through the back room h after me i was just within the door when the crash came that threw me to the floor it was the most appalling sensation i'd ever known worse than an earthquake which i've also experienced shaken and deafened i picked myself up h had struck a light to find me i lighted one and the smoke guided us to the parlor i had fixed for uncle jay the candles were useless in the dense smoke and it was many minutes before we could see then we found the entire side of the room torn out the soldiers who had rushed in said this is an eighty pound parrot it had entered through the front burst on the pallet bed which was in tatters the toilet service and everything else in the room smashed The soldiers assisted H to board up the break with planks to keep out prowlers, and we went to bed in the cellar as usual. This morning the yard is partially ploughed by a couple that fell there in the night. I think this house, so large and prominent from the river, is perhaps taken for headquarters and specially shelled. As we descend at night to the lower regions, I think of the evening hymn that grandmother taught me when a child— lord keep us safe this night secure from all our fears may angels guard us while we sleep till morning light appears surely if there are heavenly guardians we need them now june seventh in the cellar there is one thing i feel especially grateful for that amid these horrors we have been spared that of suffering for water the weather has been dry a long time and we hear of others dipping up the water from ditches and mud holes this place has two large underground cisterns of good cool water and every night in my subterranean dressing-room a tub of cold water is the nerve calmer that sends me to sleep in spite of the roar One cistern I had to give up to the soldiers who swarm about like hungry animals seeking something to devour. Poor fellows! My heart bleeds for them. They have nothing but spoiled greasy bacon and bread made of musty pea-flour, and but little of that. The sick ones can't bolt it. They come into the kitchen when Martha puts the pan of cornbread in the stove and beg for the bowl she mixed it in they shake up the scrapings with water put in their bacon and boil the mixture into a kind of soup which is easier to swallow than pea-bread when i happen in they look so ashamed of their poor clothes i know we saved the lives of two by giving a few meals Today, one crawled on the gallery to lie in the breeze he looked as if shells had lost their terrors for his dumb and famished misery. I've taught Martha to make first-rate cornmeal gruel, because I can eat meal easier that way than in hoe-cake, and I fixed him a saucerful, put milk and sugar in nutmeg. I've actually gotten nutmeg. When he ate it, the tears ran from his eyes. Oh, madam, there was never anything so good. I shall get better. June 9 the churches are a great resort for those who have no caves people fancy they are not shelled so much and they are substantial and the pews good to sleep in we had to leave this house last night they were shelling our quarter so heavily the night before martha forsook the cellar for a church we went to h s office which was comparatively quiet last night h carried the bank box i the case of matches martha the blankets and pillows keeping an eye on the shells we slept on piles of old newspapers in the streets the roar seems so much more confusing i feel sure i shall run right in the way of a shell they seem to have five different sounds from the second of throwing them to the hollow echo wandering among the hills and that sounds the most blood-curdling of all june thirteen Shell burst just over the roof this morning. Pieces tore through both floors down into the dining room. The entire ceiling of that room fell in a mass. We had just left it. Every piece of crockery on the table was smashed up. The Daily Citizen today is a foot and a half long and six inches wide. It has a long letter from a federal officer, P.P. Hill, who was on the gunboat Cincinnati that was sunk May 27th says it was found in his floating trunk. The editorial says, The utmost confidence is felt that we can maintain our position until succor comes from outside. The undaunted Johnston is at hand. June 18. Today the Citizen is printed on wallpaper, therefore has grown a little in size. It says, But a few days more and Johnston will be here and also that kirby smith has driven banks from port hudson and that the enemy are throwing incendiary shells in june twenty the gentleman who took our cave came yesterday to invite us to come to it because he said it's going to be very bad today. i don't know why he thought so we went and found his own and another family in it sat outside and watched the shells till we concluded the cellar was as good a place as that hillside i fear the want of good food is breaking down h i know from my own feelings of weakness but mine is not an american constitution and has a recuperative power that his has not june twenty one i had gone upstairs to-day during the interregnum to enjoy a rest on my bed and read the reliable items in the citizen when a shell burst right outside the window in front of me Pieces flew in, striking all around me, tearing down masses of plaster that came tumbling over me. When H. rushed in, I was crawling out of the plaster, digging it out of my eyes and hair. When he picked up a piece as large as a saucer beside my pillow, I realized my narrow escape. The window frame began to smoke, and we saw the house was on fire. H. ran for a hatchet and I for water, and we put it out. Another shell came crashing near, and I snatched up my comb and brush and ran down here. It has taken all the afternoon to get the plaster out of my hair, for my hands were very shaky. June 25. A horrible day, the most horrible yet to me, because I've lost my nerve we were all in the cellar when a shell came tearing through the roof burst upstairs tore up that room and the pieces coming through both floors down into the cellar one of them tore open the leg of h s pantaloons this was tangible proof the cellar was no place of protection from them on the heels of this came mr j to tell us that young mrs p had had her thigh-bone crushed when martha went for the milk she came back horror-stricken to tell us the black girl there had her arm taken off by a shell for the first time i quailed i do not think people who are physically brave deserve much credit for it it is a matter of nerves IN THIS WAY I AM CONSTITUTIONALLY BRAVE, AND SELDOM THINK OF DANGER TILL IT IS OVER, AND DEATH HAS NOT THE TERRORS FOR ME, IT HAS FOR SOME OTHERS. EVERY NIGHT I HAD lain DOWN EXPECTING DEATH, AND EVERY MORNING ROSE TO THE SAME PROSPECT WITHOUT BEING UNNERVED. IT WAS FOR H I TREMBLED, BUT NOW I FIRST SEEMED TO REALIZE THAT SOMETHING WORSE THAN DEATH MIGHT COME. I MIGHT BE CRIPPLED, AND NOT KILLED life without all one's powers and limbs was a thought that broke down my courage. I said to H, you must get me out of this horrible place. I cannot stay. I know I shall be crippled. Now the regret comes that I lost control because H is worried and has lost his composure because my coolness has broken down. July 1 some months ago thinking it might be useful i obtained from the consul of my birthplace by sending to another town a passport for foreign parts h said if we went out to the lines we might be permitted to get through on that so we packed the trunks got a carriage and on the thirtieth drove out there general b offered us seats in his tent The rifle bullets were whizzing so zip-zip from the sharpshooters on the Federal lines that involuntarily I moved on my chair. He said, "'Don't be alarmed. You are out of range. They are firing at our mules yonder.' His horse, tied by the tent door, was quivering all over, the most intense exhibition of fear I'd ever seen in an animal.' General V. sent out a flag of truce to the federal headquarters and, while we waited, wrote on a piece of silk paper a few words. Then he said, "'My wife is in Tennessee. If you get through the lines, send her this. They will search you, so I will put it in this toothpick.' He crammed the silk paper into a quilled toothpick and handed it to H. It was completely concealed.' the flag of truce officer came back flushed and angry. General Grant says no human being shall pass out of Vicksburg. But the lady may feel sure danger will soon be over. Vicksburg will surrender on the 4th. Is that so, General? inquired H. Are arrangements for surrender made? We know nothing of the kind. Vicksburg will not surrender." those were general grant's exact words sir said the flag officer of course it is nothing but their brag we went back sadly enough but to-day h says he will cross the river to general porter's lines and try there i shall not be disappointed july three h was going to headquarters for the requisite pass and he saw general pemberton crawling out of a cave for the shelling had been as hot as ever he got the pass but did not act with his usual caution for the boat he secured was a miserable leaky one a mere trough leaving martha in charge we went to the river had our trunks put in the boat and embarked but the boat became utterly unmanageable and began to fill with water rapidly h saw that we could not cross in it and turned to come back yet in spite of that the pickets at the battery fired on us h raised the white flag he had and yet they fired again and i gave a cry of horror that none of these dreadful things had rung from me i thought h was struck when we landed h showed the pass and said that the officer had told him the battery would be notified we were to cross the officer apologized and said they were not notified "'He furnished a cart to get home, and today we are down in the cellar again, shells flying as thick as ever, provisions so nearly gone, except the hogshead of sugar, that a few more days will bring us to starvation indeed. "'Martha says rats are hanging dressed in the market for sale with mule meat. There is nothing else.' the officer at the battery told me he had eaten one yesterday we have tried to leave this tophet and failed and if the siege continues i must summon that higher kind of courage moral courage to subdue my fears of possible mutilation july four it is evening all is still silence and night are once more united i can sit at the table in the parlor and write two candles are lighted i would like a dozen we have had wheat supper and wheat bread once more h is leaning back in the rocking chair he says gee it seems to me i can hear the silence and feel it too it wraps me like a soft garment how else can i express this peace but i must write the history of the last twenty-four hours about five yesterday afternoon, Mr. J. H.'s assistant, who having no wife to keep him in, dodges about at every change and brings us the news, came to H and said, Mr. L, you must both come to our cave tonight. I hear that tonight the shelling is to surpass everything yet an assault will be made in front and rear you know we have a double cave there is room for you in mine and mother and sister will make a place for mrs l come right up the ball will open about seven we got ready shut up the house told martha to go to the church again if she preferred it to the cellar and walked up to mr J's. When supper was eaten, all secure, and ladies in their cave, night toilet, it was just six, and we crossed the street to the cave opposite. As I crossed, a mighty shell flew screaming right over my head. It was the last thrown into Vicksburg. We lay on our pallets, waiting for the expected roar, but no sound came except the chatter from neighboring caves, and at last we dropped asleep. I woke at dawn, stiff a draught from the funnel-shaped opening had been blowing on me all night. Everyone was expressing surprise at the quiet. We started for home and met the editor of the Daily Citizen. H said, "'This is strangely quiet, Mr. L.' "'Ah, sir,' shaking his head gloomily, "'I'm afraid the last shell has been thrown into Vicksburg.' "'Why do you fear so?' "'It is surrender.' at six this evening a man went down to the river and blew a truce signal the shelling stopped at once when i entered the kitchen a soldier was there waiting for the bowl of scrapings they took turns for it good morning madam he said we won't bother you much longer we can't thank you enough for letting us come forgetting this soup boiled has helped some of us to keep alive but now all this is over is it true about the surrender yes we have had no official notice but they are paroling out at the lines now and the men at vicksburg will never forgive pemberton an old granny a child would have known better than to shut men up in this cursed trap to starve to death like useless vermin his eyes flashed with an insane fire as he spoke haven't i seen my friends carried out three or four in a box that had died of starvation nothing else madam starve to death because we had a fool for a general don't you think you're rather hard on pemberton he thought it his duty to wait for johnston some people may excuse him ma'am but we'll curse him to our dying day anyhow you'll see the blue bluecoats directly breakfast dispatched. we went on the upper gallery what i expected to see was files of soldiers marching in but it was very different. The street was deserted, save by a few people carrying home bedding from their caves. Among these was a group taking home a little creature born in a cave a few days previous, and its wan-looking mother. About eleven o'clock, a soldier in blue came sauntering along, who looked about curiously. Then two more followed him, and then another. "'H. Do you think these can be the Federal soldiers?' why yes here comes more up the street soon a group appeared on the courthouse hill and the flag began slowly to rise to the top of the staff as the breeze caught it and it sprang out like a living thing exultant h drew a long breath of contentment now i feel once more at home in mine own country in an hour more a grand rush of people setting toward the river began foremost among them the gentlemen who took our cave all were flying as if for life what can this mean h are the populace turning out to greet the despised conquerors oh said h springing up look it is the boats coming round the bend truly it was a fine spectacle to see that fleet of transports sweep around the curve and anchor in the teeth of the battery so lately vomiting fire Presently, Mr. J passed and called, aren't you coming, Mr. L? There's provisions on those boats, coffee and flour. First come, first served, you know. Yes, I'll be there pretty soon, replied H. But now the newcomers began to swarm into our yard asking H if he had coin to sell for greenbacks he had some and a little bartering went on with the new greenbacks h went out to get provisions when he returned a confederate officer came with him h went to the box of confederate money and took out four hundred dollars and the officer took off his watch a plain gold one and laid it on the table saying we have not been paid and i must get home to my family h added a five-dollar greenback to the pile and wished him a happy meeting The townsfolk continued to dash through the streets with their arms full, canned goods predominating. Toward five, Mr. J. passed again. Keep on the lookout, he said. The army of occupation is coming along. And in a few minutes, the head of the column appeared. What a contrast to the suffering creatures we had seen so long were these stalwart, well-fed men, so splendidly set up and accoutred sleek horses polished arms bright plumes this was the pride and panoply of war civilization discipline and order seemed to enter with the measured tramp of those marching columns and the heart turned with throbs of added pity to the worn men in gray who were being blindly dashed against this embodiment of modern power and now this silence that is golden indeed is over all and my limbs are unhurt and i suppose if i were a catholic in my fervent gratitude i should hie me with a rich offering to the shrine of our lady of mercy july seven i did not enjoy quiet long first came martha who announced her intention of going to search for her sons as she was free now i was hardly able to stand since the severe cold taken in the cave that night but she would not wait a day a colored woman came in and said she had asked her mistress for wages and she had turned her out wanting a place i was in no condition to stand upon ceremony then and engaged her at once but here to-day that i am thoroughly pulled to pieces in vicksburg circles there is no more salvation for me next came two federal officers and wanted rooms and board to have some protection was a necessity both armies were still in town and for the past three days every confederate soldier i see has a cracker in his hand there is hardly any water in town no prospect of rain and the soldiers have emptied one cistern in the yard already and begun on the other the colonel put a guard at the gate to limit the water given next came the owner of the house and said we must move he wanted the house but it was so big he'd just bring his family in we could stay till we got one they brought boarders with them too and children men are at work all over the house shovelling up the plaster before repairing upstairs they are pouring it by bucketfuls through the windows Colonel D. brought work for H. to help with from headquarters. Making out the paroles and copying them has taken so long they wanted help. I am surprised and mortified to find that two-thirds of all the men who have signed made their mark. They cannot write. I never thought there was so much ignorance in the South.' one of the men at headquarters took a fancy to H and presented him with a portfolio that he said he had captured when the confederates evacuated their headquarters at jackson it contained mostly family letters written in french and a few official papers among them was the following note which i will copy here and file away the original as a curiosity when the war is over headquarters department of tennessee tupelo august sixth eighteen sixty two captain the major general commanding directs me to say that he submits it altogether to your own discretion whether you make the attempt to capture general grant or not while the exploit would be very brilliant if successful you must remember that failure would be disastrous to you and your men the general commends your activity and energy and expects you to continue to show these qualities I am, very respectfully, your obedient servant, Thomas L. Sneed A.A.G., Captain George L. Baxter, Commanding Beauregard Scouts. I would like to know if he tried it and came to grief or abandoned the project. As letters can now get through to New Orleans, I wrote there. July 14th moved yesterday into a house i call fair rosamond's power because it would take a clue of thread to go through it without getting lost one room has five doors opening into the house and no windows the stairs are like ladders and the colonel's contraband valet won't risk his neck taking down water but pours it through the windows on people's heads we shan't stay in it men are at work closing up the caves they had become hiding places for trash vicksburg is now like one vast hospital everyone is getting sick or is sick my cook was taken today with bilious fever and nothing but will keeps me up july twenty three we moved again two days ago august twenty sitting in my easy-chair today, looking out upon a grassy slope of the hill in the rear of this house i have looked over this journal as if in a dream for since the last date sickness and sorrow have been with me i feel as if an angry wave had passed over me bearing away strength and treasure for on one day there came to me from new orleans the news of mrs b s death a friend whom no tie of blood could have made nearer the next day my beautiful boy ended his brief life of ten days and died in my arms my own illness caused him to perish the fatal cold in the cave was the last straw that broke down strength the colonel's sweet wife has come and i do not lack now for womanly companionship She says that with such a prenatal experience, perhaps death was the best for him. I try to think so, and to be glad that H has not been ill, though I see the effects. This book is exhausted, and I wonder whether there will be more adventures by flood and field to cause me to begin another. End of section four.